This anointed teaching by Apostle Theo Volmerans comes to you from Christian Family Church International. Hi, everybody. Easter is one of the two most important events on the Christian calendar. We're going to be studying Easter today. Now, when Jesus hung on the cross, he made seven powerful statements. Granted, they were addressing circumstances around him, but each one of those seven statements also are directed to us today. And when you hear what they mean, you'll be greatly blessed. So, down prayer, everyone. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your anointing on my mind that I might grasp the revelation of all rise and abundance from my heart within. Thank you now for supernatural recall of the scripture. I believe that your word will flow from my mouth smoothly, accurately, clearly, without hindrance from anything, carried by your anointing, your power and love to each person's mind, bringing understanding, removing all confusion, that you will enter every heart, bringing faith, removing all fear. And we'll be giving you all the praise, honor, and glory for all that's revealed and accomplished through your word and by us for you today. In Jesus' wonderful name, and all those who love the Lord said, Amen. All right, well, thank you for inviting me or welcoming me into your home. So from our home to your home, I would like to feel that I'm standing in your living room having a family discussion about Easter. Wouldn't that be nice? All right, so let's open our Bible then to Luke 23 and verse 33. The Word of God says, And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified Jesus and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. Now the first of the seven sayings of Jesus while on the cross referred to the soldiers who were crucifying Jesus. The Lord Jesus could have said nothing and let them bear the consequences of their own sin, Lord Jesus might even have been tempted to have resentment in his heart, maybe bitterness or unforgiveness toward these soldiers. If that had been the case, the Lord Jesus would have been conquered and defeated. The Lord Jesus refused to allow unforgiveness in his heart, even though those who beat him put thorns into his skull, they whipped his back, put nails through his hands and feet, and they actually murdered him. Even so, Jesus forgave him. Now, if you'll look carefully at those soldiers, you may recognize some of them because those soldiers' family was you and me. Because it was our sin that put Jesus on that cross. He was providing for you and me forgiveness from our sins. And he was forgiving us that day for inflicting all this pain upon him. Precious Lord. 
Now let's go to Luke 23 and verse 39. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed Jesus, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we received due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. While Jesus was suffering all that pain, Jesus was having compassion for those who were inflicting him with the pain. Imagine that. While he is suffering all that pain, which we can't even begin to de describe or understand, he is, he's having compassion on those who actually were afflicting him. Forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, and forgiving the criminal next to him. Now this second statement of the Lord Jesus while on the cross was made to one of the two thieves who were crucified next to him. A criminal who was dying because of what he deserved was forgiven and sent to heaven. We notice how quickly God is willing to forgive us. Someone, anyone, when they ask him for forgiveness. That's what we learn from what Jesus did right there. How quickly he is willing to forgive us. This man was a criminal, deserving of death. He said, remember me when you get to heaven. And right away, Jesus forgave him. So don't ever feel God won't forgive me. Whatever you've done, if you ask him to forgive you, the blood of Jesus is powerful enough to cover that sin and remove it. Praise God. What kind of love is that? What kind of love is that? Copy measure. All right, now let's go to John 19 and verse 26. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. Now, this third statement the Lord Jesus made while hanging on the cross is directed to Mary, his mother, and to John, one of his disciples. This statement reveals his love and concern for our well-being. Even while he himself was experiencing pain, which is impossible to describe, as I've already said, he was concerned about Mary and he connected her with John. And that displays his concern for all of us, his children. All right, let's go to Mark chapter 15 and verse 34. And at, that, and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated meaning, my God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? This was the fourth statement Jesus made while hanging on the cross. From this statement, we realize that the Lord Jesus never fully understood the full extent of the suffering he would have to endure as our substitute. He never understood the full extent of it. It seemed that he was surprised at this fact that God had forsaken him or cut himself off from his son. He had to walk this lonely road on his own by faith in God. This journey into the fires of hell for three days was a journey he had to take all by himself while his own father was punishing him for my sin and yours. He knew that he would have to die physically on the cross, that he knew. He knew that he would have to spend three days and nights in the fires of hell. He explained that to us when he spoke about Jonah. He said, as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the whale, so I will be three days and nights in the heart of the earth. He said that. But he never knew that he'd have to go through all of that in a state of being cut off from his loving father in a state of spiritual death, separation from God for his life. Even while in this state of spiritual death, Christ had to trust the father by faith throughout the three days and nights in hell to raise him back to life again. That's why he cried out, why have you forsaken me? because this was obviously something he did not foresee or know about. All right, this statement reveals the huge risk God was taking to redeem mankind. The huge risk. A risk why? Well, because Jesus became completely vulnerable at that time. He was without the Father's help, without the anointing, all alone, in the state of death, cut off from God. All he had was his memory of the scriptures. That's what he was trusting in, the word of God. That's where his faith came from, the word of God. So Jesus was completely vulnerable, subject to making mistakes. You say, could he make mistakes? Oh yes, Hebrews 4 verse 15 says, Jesus was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So he was tempted in every way we were, but he never yielded to it. So it's not wrong to be tempted. The problem is when we yield to it. So Jesus had every temptation you and I will ever face in life, but he never yielded to it. He didn't follow through on it. He rejected those temptations. So, we can see if it was possible for him to be tempted, it was also possible for him to fall to that temptation and possible for him to sin. If it weren't possible for Jesus to sin, then nothing would ever be tempting. Got it? If it's not possible for our Lord to sin, and then it would be impossible for him to be tempted. <laughs> if nothing would make him sin, then there's no temptation to him. But since there was a temptation, 
He could have sinned. We got that clear, right? Okay. John 19, 28. So let me go back to that a bit. Jesus took a huge risk. He was risking his own eternal life. If he had sinned at that vulnerable time in the fires of hell, when all the demons were tormenting him, can we imagine what he went through? There was a risk involved here. So the Father and Jesus risked everything. Why is that? Because of their love for you and me. The pain of the cross and the suffering of the cross is less painful to God than eternity without you and me. The heartache of not having us with Him for eternity was too much to bear. That's why Christ went through this suffering. John 19, 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now, this is the fifth statement Jesus made while on the cross, I thirst. This is the only mention of any discomfort while hanging on that cross. The only mention. There's a lot he could have said about his, his sufferings, but the only thing he mentioned was, I'm thirsty. Can you imagine that? What would be the reason for this? To answer this question, let's go back to the Word of God. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and thus run with endurance the race that is set before us. So God has set a race before you. It's God's plan for your life. He wants us to run that race and not carry any weight. You know, lay aside every sin and every weight. We know what a sin is, but a weight is something we're allowed to do, but we do it in excess, it becomes an idol in our life, which robs us from our time with God, and we can't run our race. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. I love that. For the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross. So Jesus could see beyond the grave, beyond the three days and nights, into the future, eternity. And he could see our joy of our salvation in all eternity, living with Jesus and the Father and our families. And he saw that and it gave Jesus such joy that he endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him of all of us together, he endured the cross, despising the shame of the cross, ignoring the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, to understand this a little better, let's look at the same verse in two other translations, all right? Hebrews 12, verse 2 from the Phillips, the J.B. Phillips translation. It says, because of the joy he knew would follow his suffering. Because of the joy, he knew that would follow his suffering. He endured the cross. The same verse in the Moffat's translation says, he steadily endured the cross, 
thinking nothing of its shame. In other words, the embarrassment of being naked on that cross for all to see. He just shut that out of his mind and thought about our happy faces when we arrive on the shores of heaven one day. Now, if the Lord Jesus could endure the nightmare of the crucifixion and the flames of hell, because he was thinking about our eternal future, which brought him such great joy in heaven, our future in heaven, which brought him such great joy. If he could endure that cross, the crucifixion, the fires of hell, because of his love for us, I'd like to ask you today, surely we can endure sharing the love of Jesus with the lost. Surely we can endure sharing our testimony with someone who doesn't know the Lord. Telling them of how wonderful Jesus is in our life, what he's done for us. And then invite them to church. And when they receive Jesus as Savior, why can't we disciple that person, teach them the Word of God, bring them back to church every week, put them on the, the growth track and help them find their place and become someone who can help others. Make a difference. Surely we can do that. Can we not? Now then, Jesus said our thirst, right? Our thirst is the only hint, as I said, of any trauma that Jesus was suffering. This next statement tells us Jesus faced life's greatest problems with a positive attitude, and so should we. Let's have a look at that, John 19, 30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Now this is the sixth statement. Number six, Jesus made while hanging on the cross. I believe it needs to be mentioned in conjunction with seven, number seven, the seventh statement, which we read now, then I'll explain both together. All right, so let's go to Luke 23, 46. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. Now here are Roman soldiers. They're not Jews. They're not disciples. And he says, Surely this was a righteous man. And they were crucifying somebody they believed to be an idiot, a false, a fake, a liar, a cheat. But he changed his opinion about Jesus totally when he saw this man, Christ, dying on the cross. All right, so here we've got statement number six and seven together. The Lord Jesus made these two statements immediately one after the other. That's why I believe we should deal with them together. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, and it is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, and it is finished.
Now, it is finished is the Roman army general victory war cry. This war cry was made by the Roman army general when he was standing perhaps on a little hill overlooking the battlefield and you could see the Roman soldiers fighting with swords and spears and shields against their enemy. The moment the general perceived or saw that the Roman army had the upper hand in the battle, this Roman general would shout out down into the valley as loud as he could, it is finished. And when he shouted that, when the Romans heard that down in the battlefield, they knew there's just a little mopping up to do and they just gave them a boost of energy, enthusiasm, and they fought like never before just to get it over the finish line. Now the enemy, when they heard that cry, they panicked because they knew the general could see they were losing and now the Roman army was inspired. And so they panicked and they gave up. Now when Jesus cried out that Roman general war cry, that's not a defeat, that's victory. He is shouting out in death, I have victory. <laughs> Can you imagine that? The Roman soldiers crucifying him said to themselves, this man's dying and he's shouting victory in his death. They could not get over that. So this is what they did. Luke 23, 47. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God saying, certainly this was a righteous man. This was a righteous man. And another soldier said this in Matthew 27, 54. Truly, this was the Son of God. So those Roman soldiers had to acknowledge by the way Christ died in victory as a man, not complaining and whining and crying. No, but as a man, he took it on our behalf. If hardened soldiers standing at the crucifixion site could see enough evidence to become convinced that Jesus was the Son of God, and they said so, then surely the most skeptical people that we know in our day should also be persuaded to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if only they will give Jesus sincere consideration and the opportunity to deal with their heart. And that's where you and I come in, to pray for them and trust God to open that door. And for us who are in love with Jesus, remember his last cry, it is finished. Our general is saying to you and me in that statement, I have conquered all things for you. I've made you victorious. Now all I want you to do is go ahead and mop up. In other words, bring in my harvest that I died for. Bring in my lost souls that I gave my life for. And I'll bless you for eternity for doing it. So family of God, once again, Easter challenges us not to live a selfish life. Gimme, give gimme, give gimme, give my name is Jimmy, I'll take all your gimme. But to think, God, what do you want me to do for you today? And his message is clear. Let's reach out a helping hand to a lost soul 
a good deed, a smile, an encouraging word, some service in some way, will start creating a relationship, a relationship that will allow us to open the door for God to and for us to bring them in. And Jesus, I promise you right now, there's no, if you want to make the Lord happy, there's nothing better you can do in all eternity than win a soul for Him. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Fulmerantz. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerantz and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com.